Hey everybody, welcome uh, to the From the Earth to the Moon podcast. Uh, I'm Doug, joined by Peter. Welcome, Peter. Welcome, Doug. And today we're going to do episode eight. We interrupt this program. This aired April 26, 1998. It was directed by Dave Frankel and was written by Peter Osterlund and Amy Baker. This is a huge departure from the series. Hmm. Well, you know, listen, they just made Apollo 13, the movie with Tom Hanks, right? Which is, as we said, is in many ways how this got, this series got made because it rekindled And just, and just as a, hang on, let me interrupt you. Just as a shameless plug, Peter and I also uh, have another podcast, Popcorn Drink Combo. And over there, we've done full podcasts on Apollo 13, as well as First Man and the Right Stuff, if you're interested in uh, films of this type. But yeah, yep. but it was, it's true. Like, they had just done Apollo 13. Right. And uh, so it, it rekindled interest. And they assumed correctly, I think, that anybody watching this series had for sure seen Apollo 13, was interested, probably had gone out and maybe read more. There, I'm sure there was some stuff on PBS. As a matter of fact, I kind of remember that there was some stuff on PBS about it. There was some other documentaries and there was a lot of coverage that kind of got revived um, about Apollo 13 at that time in the late 90s. And so they they decided not to cover the events themselves again. Well, and you could imagine that they probably had us put a lot of thought and time into how do they do this one? Right. So it's got a totally different theme because they've got to still tell the story of Apollo the- Apollo 13 somehow yet make the episode have a broader focus or cover some new ground. They can't just do the same thing we've seen before. Right. So it's about journalism. It's about the journalists covering Apollo and NASA. And more broadly, it's about changing trends in, in American media. And and they use it as an inflection. They sort of suggest and a, yeah, that there's a little an inflection bit of like point. the tabloidization of the news to some extent, right? Um, and you know, now there is no Emmett Seaborn left. You know, now right, er, right. It, everybody is Brett Hutchins. Yep, and that's the only thing people want to watch. So you know, to their credit, they don't make Brett Hutchins, who uh, is played by Jay Moore from um, Saturday Night Live originally right or jerry Maguire, right they don't make um they don't make him into a real villain he's just basically a guy that has a different view of how journalism is going to be conducted from now on and he's right and um and he's sort of pitted the whole episode against emmett seaborn our stand-in for bergman and cronkite right they do make the sort of executive level um, of the network to be the villains. Um, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. And, you know, the thing to remember is maybe, I mean, I certainly am more a fan of the Emmett Seaborn style than the tablet style. And I imagine most people who are interested in this are, but the fact is that they were just reacting to changes in taste. So they didn't, there was no conspiracy to change coverage, to make coverage tabloid. And, um, you know, as the, whatever many years this took to happen. Um, but 
they were responding to changing tastes. But, you know, everything we live in now, I mean, you know, we talked a little bit about this over at Popcorn Drink Combo on our Itanya podcast. Like, we are living in such an era of sort of, like, low journalism. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, there's there's no highbrow journalism. You know, I think that, I think that like, the degree of sort of bias in journalism today and the way that everyone is, you know, absolutely nothing is spared the viewer. Nothing is too tasteless or too coarse or too vulgar right. for the viewer and for, you know, for the for the, the journalist these days to sort of salivate over. Well, like, it's, because, it's, it's just been a race based. to the bottom. Right. right. Because it's all ratings based and there's very, very minimal amount left that is not a money-making enterprise only and above all else. And the way to be a money-making enterprise in the media is to have a really wide um, readership unless you're a really subspecialized publication that can charge thousands of dollars a year to subscribe. And there's that does exist, but there are very, very few things that can do that. Um, for the rest, they need a lot of eyeballs. And the way to get a lot of eyeballs is to have clickbait um, like on the bottom of our ser- our webpage of the, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I would never put clickbait. <laughs> I would never put clickbait on our, our webpage. That's good. But uh, no, look, clickbait Learn is... Learn all about NASA astronauts with this one strange trick. This <laughs> one strange trick leads to male multiple orgasms. <laughs> and growing hair. Right, and everything. You know, it's always... Growing hair during orgasm. Yeah, I mean, clickbait to me is the the digested haiku version of the most, you know, those tabloid instincts because it's this one little tiny little sentence and a picture that encapsulates the entire attitude that is just like, ooh. <laughs> you know, you look at that and there's some base instinct to see what is that. Like yeah. that can't be, even if you know, it doesn't matter. Even if you think this is BS, you know, there is, that's crap, but you still click on it. That's, right? I, you know, I have to tell you, I think clickbait works better at night. You know, you're laying in bed with the iPad. You're like, eh, let me just see what's there. You know, but during the day, like when you're at work, you're like, I don't have time for that crap. But later I got a little time for that crap. Yeah. I got to say, I, I almost never indulge, but anyway. Back so to. Jay Moore, so Jay Moore plays Brett Hutchins, our uh, up and coming, uh, you know, I guess journalist who's in a different mold than Emmett Seaborn. I actually like Jay Moore quite a lot. I've seen him in a bunch of shows and movies. Uh, I, I sort of like his breezy style. Yeah, um, he was. I don't know. If he, I don't know if you remember uh, Nikki Cox. He was actually married to Nikki Cox for a while. Um, who was one of the prettiest women in Hollywood that I, that I can recall, uh, although they're divorced now. But anyway, but uh, Jay Moore is Brett Hutchins, um, who sort of he's sort of introduced to Seaborn before uh, things get started, right? They uh, and 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 Seaborn's kind of a jerk to him. Like yeah. that's sort of a theme in in the beginning part of the episode is that you know Seaborn doesn't recognize that. This guy is up and coming and maybe has some skills that he doesn't or a different perspective from him and doesn't sort of recognize that he has real competition in this guy until it's too late. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, it's one of the few times in the series that Seaborn is not shown in a good light. Right. He's, right. he's, he's always sort of the, you know, the respectable voice of the network throughout uh, from the Earth to the Moon. And uh, especially in the first half of the episode, before he realizes what he's up against, you know, he's he's kind of a shit to 
to to Brett Hutchins. There's right. no other way to say it. You know, he's kind of like nice he's to meet dismissive. you out of the way, son. Right. right. Let, let the let the grown ups do the real work here. Um, and you know. We see why, for example, Seaborn would feel that way. There's a great sequence where right after the TV broadcast, when they stir the tanks and they have the uh, the explosion, you know, there's a very nice two or three minute scene where Emmett is being rushed onto air and he's like, you know, getting makeup done. He's putting his shirt and tie on. He's getting his jacket on. And with very, very little information, he's ready to go live in front of the nation and talk with authority you right. know, and a great sense of weight and earnestness about the events of Apollo 13. And it's and meant to show you, right, it's meant to show you that he's really good at his job and he only has to hear a little bit of the chatter, right, from the flight loops that is read to him by an assistant right before he goes on to give him at least a rough idea of what's happening. And like, he's really done his homework. He's put in his time with NASA and the space program and he knows, he understands the command module and the lunar module well like he can talk about them technically with a high degree of fidelity right and it's it's sort of you know it's his high point in the episode and then for the rest of the episode emmett seaborn is only on the way down right i mean his brand of journalism is that he sits in between the highly technical um events uh, and and on uh, and comprehension and world of the engineer and the public and he uses his ability to understand what's happening and explain it to the public in a comprehensible way but not a dumbed down way um while basically still while still allowing you to understand the concepts of the technical details and understand thereby the what's momentous about the event or what the difficulties or benefits risks um etc that are that are going on based on the the technical side so right and he interprets for the world right he interprets and he right whereas the new style is not based on expertise knowledge and interpretation um it's basic it's it's based on simply the, the you know the earlier aspects of a, of a clickbait style stern yeah style sort journalism. of like a bullshit salacious. salacious content right basically what is, what are you curious to see what's the what's the, just purely a gut take Pre-ink. on things right well and, and you know they, they they talk about this just very briefly in the apollo 13 movie and here they show it more explicitly you know there's there's a woman in the press room who's sitting there before the accident and no one cares. You know, going to the moon is now routine and the press isn't interested. And, you know, there's a shot of some NASA employee like, you know, dorking around with a slinky at his desk. And, right. you know, the place is a morgue. No one cares that these guys are going to the moon. And it's only when there's the prospect of death and disaster that the press descends. And we see later in the episode the exact same press room and the same woman who was sitting there doing nothing before except twirling her hair and clicking her gum is now struggling to keep up with the 20 lines that are ringing on her phone. Right. You know, press room, please hold. Press room, please hold. Press room, please hold. You know, it's all she can do. Right. Right. I mean, and again, it, and, the, and again, sort of showing that, you know, like the the press isn't isn't to be lauded so much here. Right. I mean, you know, it's the American public was been there, done that after Apollo 11 and then 12. I mean, at that point, they completely lost interest. 
So, <laughs> which, is, which is incredible. But you know, that having been said, I you know I have to confess, and as somebody who is about as interested in the space program as a human being could be, you know. You know, even I was kind of like, sometimes you turn the TV and they'd be like, you know, STS-74 launched today. And you'd be like, hmm. You know, like right. when the space shuttle took off for the umpteenth time and they were just spinning around in low orbit. You did kind of get tired of it. I hate to say it, but it was true. Right. You know, off to study seed growth in low Earth gravity. You know, like, you know, microgravity. <laughs> like, oh, great. Yeah, but you I know, have to, A you billion know, dollars. However, you know, you have to realize that that was like hundreds of shuttle missions plus the shuttle in and of itself was way crappier than apollo um, well certainly less exciting i you know i remember you and i watched columbia's first launch together in sixth grade we watched it in school and we were like literally like bouncing off the walls it was so exciting but you know right lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of missions to low earth orbit later not so exciting Right. Um, so I guess I have some sympathy for the for the the public in you know 1970. Um, there's two, not one, but two huge. We always have to. So for the people who don't listen to popcorn drink combo yet, um, we always try to. We have this sort of bizarre. Meaning we meaning me um, had this bizarre <laughs> fascination fetish with uh, looking for people who are from Star Trek in any other like, production. <laughs> and there's two huge Star Trek cameos in this. Obviously, uh, Clint Howard, uh, Ron Howard's brother, who was Baylock. He doesn't in, even count. Uh, He's in everything. I know, but he, but you know, he doesn't play Cy Liebergott. He plays Cy Liebergott in the Apollo 13 movie, The Ecom. And right. here he's given the name Paul. But did you did you pick up the other big Star Trek cameo in this? No. Huge. Who, who was it? I don't remember. So uh, Spiro Agnew, the vice president's personal press oh, secretary, yeah, 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 is yeah. there. And that is Ethan Phillips, none other than Neelix from Star Trek Voyager. Right. Um, he, who's not playing a Talaxian here. Anyway, right. so um, to get back to this now, the press has descended upon the, the Manned Space Flight Center. Um, they have a press conference where Slayton, Chris Kraft, and McDivitt basically have to acknowledge to the press the incredible danger the astronauts are in and the severity of the problem, which is, I think it's a really good scene. And it's one of the few scenes that sort of focuses on the actual mission as opposed to the press coverage. Right. Um, and it's good, you know, like they, the actual the same scene is shown in the Apollo 13 movie from a slightly different uh, perspective. Um, and they, for example, they acknowledge concerns about the rising CO2, which is a, a wink to events we've seen in the Apollo 13 movie. And there's an acknowledgement of the burns that they're going to have to do. And, you know, they don't they don't really talk about it here in Apollo 13, but it's just worth an interesting digression. So um, unlike Apollo 11 and 12, Apollo 13 did not head to the moon on a free return trajectory because the Frau Mora Highlands that they were supposed to explore did not allow them to do that. So they actually had to have several burns to both get on a free return trajectory. Then they had to do the so-called famous PC or Paracynthian plus two burn to uh, speed their transit home. So there, there right. is brief mention in this episode of the fact that they have to do those two burns. Um, and then there's a good scene where um, uh, they have Emmett sort of fictionally stand in for all the press in the, in the scene where he negotiates to have a press pool because they weren't allowed in the viewing gallery. And in real life, this is true, this did happen on Apollo 13 as the press selected uh, some print and some television reporters to actually be 
in the viewing area behind uh, Mission Control there. Right. And, uh, and that did happen in feed. real life. Right. Right. And that did where they, they could listen to the flight director's loop. Right. And they rotated so that they had a rotation schedule. So all these different reporters would go in for a couple hours at a time. And then we see, um, I think, perhaps the best scene in the episode where, uh, where I was going to say Jay Moore, where Brett Hutchins, the junior reporter, and Emmett Seaborg really clash for the first time. And you get a sense that Emmett realizes that Brett is, is trying to cover the story in a very, very different way than he would and feels comfortable with. And he says to him, you know, that's not going to work if you want a relationship with NASA. And Brett says, you know, I don't want a relationship with NASA. Right. And then, you know, Emmett has nowhere to go. Like, that's such a that's such an out of the box comment for him. Like, he literally has no response to that. And it's kind of the first hint that he doesn't understand the next generation of reporter. He doesn't understand this style of journalism. And he's he's really, you know, he comes up short. Yeah, he kind and of it really it out. summarizes the whole episode. He figures right. it out, but only too late. He figures that at the end. And then he basically realizes that uh, times are changing. But, right, and then the, and then we have a really good sequence where uh, Brett Hutchins and his producer go to the Lovell household and get nothing because the, there's a million reporters and nobody's allowed in, and he basically sweet talks the teenage daughter next door by lying to her. Right, he hands right. her the like the oldest line in the book. He asks her name and she says it's Doris, and he says, "Oh, that's my mother's name." Like the 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 first, you know, thing they teach in lying school. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's able to get the film crew into their house and over the backyard fence, Phil Marilyn Lovell and their, and, and the Lovell's youngest son, you know, and they get this sort of like ill-gotten footage of her pointing up at the sky, obviously talking about the, their missing father and husband. And, you know, it's, it's really low. Like you could kind of see the point, like it is really low, but if no one's covering the families, it's going to get a lot of viewers. Right. That's exactly what he's, he knows what he's doing ahead of time. So right. he's, and the, the contrast between the two reporting styles could not possibly be more clear. Right. Uh, and then, you know, we get to see, you know, to, to give, to give Emmett his due, we get to see, you know, Emmett. Uh, functioning as a journalist and he when he's sitting in the in the press pool he happens to notice clint howard slash baylock slash paul um go to the bathroom to take a piss and he follows him there and he lies he lies to a nasa employee because he's not supposed to walk around the moker the mission operations control room without an escort and he lies so he can get into the bathroom with the clint howard character and essentially you know press him for information that he can claim as a scoop and and he doesn't he he gets uh, some information about the fact that the rtg for the allsep the radioisotope thermoelectric generator for the, the lunar mod so for the instrument package that they were going to leave on the moon is in fact a small nuclear reactor and, and when they deorbit aquarius they've got to somehow dump it in a place that nobody can get their hands on the nuclear material right. um, and you know he gets a good story out of the Clint Howard character, and then we see that the network doesn't care. It's too right. technical, right? And he runs to the network with this great nugget, this great fact, right? And they, yeah, they we'll, we'll, do, we'll show that bait. this, yeah, we'll show that this evening. Em. I want to save that for later. And you kind of see that the the network is turning on him, right. right? He's no longer hip. He's no longer cool. He's not as good looking as Jay Moore, right? Like their 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 attentions have turned away from Epic from Emmett. 
Right. It's all about the salacious side of things and only the human interest side. And no one cares about what's actually going on. Uh, And then we very quickly follow this up with a scene where uh, Brett Hutchins and his crew run to Hobby Airport, which is kind of the other airport in Houston. Um, They run to Hobby Airport and essentially ambush Jack Swigert's very elderly parents. Right. Um, and get Jack Swigert's mother especially to uh, talk about her son and cry and non-verbally acknowledge that she is afraid that he is going to die. And it's really exploitative. Right. Um, and, and the network loves it, right? The the expression that the producer at the the network says is that's a great piece of film, right? And it's yep. it's just really manipulative and taking advantage of these these two people at their you know at their lowest point. And then uh, we then really just to sort of make Emmett's life even worse, you know, as 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 Brett Hutchins really falls fully into the center of the spotlight. There is a great scene where Emmett and Hutchins have a confrontation on the lawn in front of the the control room, in front of the moker, um, where he basically says, like, what are you doing? Like, this is terrible what you're doing. And, you know, Hutchins has nothing but contempt for him and basically says, get out of my shot. I'm about to go live. Yeah. And it's it's a I think it's maybe second after where Moore says, you know, I don't want a relationship with NASA. Like, it's such a good acting moment between the two characters, because, you know, you really kind of see it from both their point of views. Right. Right. You could identify with Hutchins. This is my chance. This is my big story. I'm hot. I'm getting right. a lot of attention from my network. Right. This I don't is what people want. This. this is the way yeah. it's going to be. People um, like what I'm doing. Right. Times are changing. And, that's yeah. nobody cares about get that out of anymore. my way old man right um and you could also see it from emmett's point of view where you know what he sees happening is really distasteful to him and he comes from a completely different era and school of journalism yeah and to me you know he's right you know he's basically he's thinking you can imagine him thinking um if people were like this we never would have been able to get to the moon we just <laughs> right. you know we would yeah. be sitting there watching soap operas, and that's it. And then uh, NASA, right? We get a nice scene where where the press people at you know, sort of the public affairs people at NASA, they intentionally ice Brett Hutchins. Like they realize the type of coverage he's doing and how it portrays the events, and then they go out of their way to sort of ice him. And there's a scene where he asks a question, and he gets a door slammed in his face by one of the NASA public affairs office public affair officers. Um, and then the network uh, and NASA sort of come to a, a realization that you know NASA can't shut out a network, and they yeah. have to give. Brett Hutchins a story even though they don't like him they don't like what he's doing they can't afford to risk bad PR from this guy yeah um, you know in contrast to Apollo 13 the re-entry sequence in this is interesting because there is zero tension <laughs> you know like I mean that scene in Apollo 13 I mean I've seen Apollo 13 a million times I know that they all live to splash and it is still tense when you watch that yeah. scene and in this scene, there's no tension at all because you just know that the splashdown is just going to be a vehicle to move the story that we're watching in the in this episode forward. Yeah, I actually skipped forward like 30 seconds. <laughs> Did you really? Um, and there's a great bit, you know, Emmett's last hurrah 
in this episode is when they reestablish radio contract contact and everybody's clapping, you know, Emmett knows right away they're not safe until the drogues and the shoots are out. Right. And it could have been damaged. You know, we don't know right. if everything was cold and wet. And, and he, right. And he talks about Vladimir Kamarov dying and Soyuz one. And it's just sort of show like Emmett's nobody's fool. Like he knows this better than anybody else. He and he really comes up with a good point again. Yeah. Right. Um, and nobody cares. Nobody cares. And then, and the network people kind of roll their eyes at him as a killjoy. Right. Right. Um, and then, and then, um, oh, by the way, they, they have him do a signature Cronkite move where he takes his, he sort of dramatically takes his glasses off and puts them back on. That's very, very Cronkite. Emmett. Right. And then sort of, uh, in Emmett's a low point, uh, he, he gets an interview with Gene Kranz, the flight director, as soon as the, the astronauts are safely in the water and he sort of, you know, verbally gives the finger to his producers at the network saying, you know, if you hadn't stuck me here at the studio and let me be at NASA, I could have had this interview right away. And then he runs over from the network to the to the to the space center to interview Gene Krantz, only to discover that right, he's been handed his hat. Right. And there's Guess Brett. who's there. Right. Place. Ready to go. And that's the moment he realizes time that things are changed inexorably. And um, he, he, instead of staying and doing it, he just, he leaves. Right. And, and uh, Brett Hutchins, the Jay Moore character, you know, recognizes the intense awkwardness of the situation and even says, you know, like, hey, uh, we got the A team here. Why don't you do it? And he sort of graciously offers. Emmett the interview and everybody in the room sees what's happening and this is an awkward moment even Gene Kranz picks up on it yeah um, and in the end you know Emmett has too much pride and he walks away I mean it's a really I mean it's an you know it's funny because when I when I saw I've seen this miniseries several times obviously and this is kind of the first time I really liked this episode and I used to always skip over this one when I would watch it through because mm. it kind of used to depress me but I don't know maybe it's because I'm older now maybe I can identify with both characters in a way that I couldn't you know 20 years ago right or maybe I'm just more interested in media now like you know it's funny because when I knew we were doing this episode, when I booted it up, I was like, oh, God, this one. And I couldn't believe how interested I was. Like, 50 minutes in, I was like, wow, this is way better than I remembered. Hmm. Yeah, I don't it's even not really about the space it. program. No, it's really, it's, it's really an outlier in that sense. Because uh, it's not. It's about culture, changes in culture, media and culture. Well, I mean, just think, for example, how how intense the media interest was and columbia and challenger you know and then yeah. when they when they had the return to flight missions the first flight after columbian challenger right those were intensely covered because everybody was like they, is it going to blow up again right are they going to crash again um yeah. and then you know what happened the second flight after columbia or challenger nobody cared you know what i'm saying like nobody yep. cared i remember 
when you know a, a space shuttle mission would be an entire day of news and then it was like they would just sort of cut in for the launch and cut in for the landing and then after a while they didn't even do that and it would be 15 or 30 seconds on the evening news back when people actually watched network evening news they would just be like you know oh today the space shuttle landed and they would show just a brief shot of it you know rolling to a stop at you know, at JSC, like, right. it's, it really is amazing how you really, I guess, get used to anything. Right. You know, um, as we record this, um, Virgin Galactic just put another mission into space and there was barely a blip, barely a blip in the news. Nobody paid it any attention. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's a, it's really like, you got to give them credit. Like they thought of an out of the box way to do this show. Right, and they really sort of con provided a condensed portrayal of cultural changes in the U.S. and globally. Some and some they ways. still manage through your listening to the loops or some you know text on the screen to sort of get a sense of you know where the mission is, and they sort of keep like wink winking to you like what's happening in the Apollo thirteen movie, which you're supposed to be essentially playing in your head in the background as you watch this. Right. You know, I guess the other way they could have done it is they could have done it from the perspective of the families, but that's coming up in a different episode. So they, you know, they probably realize we can't do that twice. We can only do that one time. Right. I know. Definitely much better for me on this viewing than any other time watching this series. Hmm. But, you know, it shows you that that's the value in coming back to it, you know, years later. Like you're different and you can appreciate the material in a different way at a different point in your own life. Yeah. And you've seen other things and. Right, and you've had other experiences. You're even more familiar with, with Apollo 13 than you were then, probably the first time you saw it. Yeah. Um, but, the, you know, I think hats off to Jay Moore and uh, the guy who plays Emmett Seaborn, whose name I'm blanking on, but hats off to the two of them because, you know, they carry this entire episode. Uh, Lane and this Smith. is kind of a, this is a, yeah. that's his name? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a tough episode. Yeah. You know, this is not a glad handled happy episode, but, you know, with a lot of great moments, it's a sort of sort of tense drama about generations and conflict and, you know, some dark commentary on our media, which unfortunately persists to this day. Right. Mm. Well, listen, I got to go because Inside Edition is coming on for, for <laughs> right. the evening. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Should we wrap there? Yeah. All right, coming back uh, next week, we'll be on to episode uh, nine. So we'll see you all next week. And don't forget to check us out over at Popcorn Drink Combo. Right, and we'll also cover three ways to grow more body hair. <laughs> right. right, that's one you surprising can't trick. <laughs> Doctors uh, hate this one uh, healthy food. <laughs> this one tax, right, this, this mortgage trick that the government hates. Right. Oh, God. <laughs> All right, everybody. We'll see you next time. All right. Good night.